Hey guys, you're listening to the Gen Pop Podcast with me, your host, Larry Doyle. Where each week, I'm going to bring in friends, guests, and experts to help enhance your health, fitness, and wellness journeys. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. So it's my absolute pleasure to have Daniel Davy of Davy Nutrition on the Gen Pop Podcast. Daniel, you're very welcome. I'm very happy to be here. For those who live under a rock and aren't on Instagram now at the moment, looking at all the fantastic recipes and meals and ideas, give everyone a 30-second elevator pitch on who you are, Daniel. I think who I am has probably changed an awful lot, uh, I would say, in the past three years. Um, I'm from the west of Ireland, a small place called uh, Chaffpool uh, in, in County Sligo. Uh, I grew up in a small farm. Um, which was predominantly, when it began, it was sheep. Um, it's sheep and cows. And I moved into um, sports nutrition in my, I suppose, in my, my early 20s, um, when sports nutrition wasn't a big thing. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I was able to implement sports nutrition throughout my playing, uh, I would say, career. It's not really a career in GAA, but... That's that's what it felt like to me. It was a I was I was all in in that space, and uh, I'm delighted, fortunate, privileged to have worked with some of Ireland's best athletes in GA and rugby and Dublin senior football team and Leinster rugby. And it's it's going to be such an amazing list, and you know I'm sure people love to jump in onto that with you straight away and talk about all the superstars you've dealt with and the uh, the high levels of performance that you've achieved with that. But what I'd love to do is kind of go back to the start, and you know something that we look at is the formative years in people's lives and their relationships with food, and how big an influence it can actually have. Growing up on the farm, what was that like? And, you know, what was the, the early years with your relationship with nutrition like to lead you to where you are now? Yeah, and, and as you asked the question, I, I guess what, what comes to mind or what the, are the images of me eating with um, my, my grandparents, um, the garden that both grandparents had, they, they grew their own potatoes, they grew their own vegetables, I collected eggs from the hen house. We um, we had milk by my, my granddad on my mother's side. Uh, they, they had a, a, a really great dairy farm. And I think that there's, there's so many different components of it that I absolutely, totally took for granted uh, through most of my childhood and, and my 20s. And it was something, and this is why it's, it, I suppose it brings me nicely to why I said I've changed a lot. It's because as I've got older, I've realized I was completely and totally privileged to have that type of an upbringing where food was really valued. But I understood where food uh, came from and how difficult it is to actually access the kind of quality of food that, that we have in this country. But in particular, you know, growing up in a, in a, in a small farm. Uh, it, it gives you uh, a sense of the work that's involved in, in bringing food to our tables. And that's a massive thing. I think that so many Irish people actually overlook is the quality of the produce that we have. You know, we've, we've spoke with our great friend Barry Kerrigan on this about the whole formation of Irish food and how great it is. And um, the same, we go back to Owen Sheehan from Country Munch and they've a very similar background and Owen again grew up on the farm. It's such a huge influence. And again, it's something that we just take for granted and, you know, that we don't realize how fortunate we are 
to be where we're from. And that's, again, it sounds so cliche, but like um, given the quality of the produce that we have compared to other countries. So, you know, we talk about these long sustainable changes that you're really trying to make to people and, you know, really get them on back to back to their roots, essentially, with nutrition and, you know, to get it in for the long term. What do you find are the biggest issues that people have along that way in, in terms of being able to get back to where it all started with their nutrition and the more basics as opposed to the shinier cliche diet that's there now at the moment of so many people? I think everybody comes from a very different place um, with their food and with their nutrition. And I think one of the, the greatest strengths that I have um, uh, from from my background is the fact that there wasn't always this pressure to have something prepared that was really, really quick. You know, I uh, I was taught the concept of patience. And to be honest with you, just as you asked that question, it came into my head that uh, I remember, I really vividly remember sitting at, uh, at the table and we were out for food with, um, with, with my family and I was absolutely ravenous. I was starving. I was always starving as a kid because I was so active. And I said to my dad, he's sitting beside me and he had his arm over the back of the chair, and I said, when is this food going to be here? I'm absolutely starving. Like, I'm ravenous, you know. And my dad said, he said, you know, this is an amazing experience. How often do we come to a nice restaurant like this? How often do we get to take in these smells and this these surroundings and have food brought to us at our table and share just each other's company? And he said, be patient because it's all going to be over very, very quickly and your food will be in your tummy. And I was only a kid, but that was the kind of message that I was being given from a very young age. And for some reason, I didn't just, most of the time, I just uh, would have said, ah, you don't know what you're on about or whatever, because, you know, he's your parent. But it did stick with me. And um, I did carry that through, through my entire life in, in different dining um, situations. I always thought, no matter how hungry I was, I'm actually just going to be in the moment. So uh, there's a very long-winded way of saying that I think people have really lost a sense of being patient, not constantly looking for something that's really quick to fill a gap. So the, the, the mindset and how we approach our food, it takes a lot to peel back those layers and to step into a space or a headspace where we're just going to realize this is all an investment in our well-being, every single step of, of preparing our food to eating our food. When you look at it's a very westernized culture that we have now at the moment, you know, we'll, we'll sit with our dinners at the TV, we'll, you know, be absolutely so not present in terms of what we do and you know back when we were allowed to take holidays but like you know you go to Italy you go to Spain you go to France and the whole family is around the table and they're having such an experience with their food and you know nanny is cooking the food and everyone is sitting around there's conversation goes into the the early hours of the morning where we're trying to you know we've gone to the restaurant we've stuck their face we come back we're trying to get asleep but the family is actually annoying us outside the window because they're still having such a loud conversation over a glass of wine and i think the the art of having an enjoyable meal has really been lost right and it's something that we only do when we're on holidays or once a month it's something special but this is a it's an everyday occasion for those families where they actually get into that, right? And then 
we could go down the blue zone talk here of so many things, but like, you know, there is a lot to be said for those areas that you look at and, and the formation of that where I guess now we've got a, you know, shut up and eat your dinner, get your vegetables in you and be quiet and you won't get dessert. You know, there's all this kind of thing. And we see that with our clients that there's such a, a massive formation of these habits and routines and poor habits from their early years and the, the impact that their nutrition can have. But I guess that's something now that you're trying to put in with, you know, what you're doing. And it's, it's fantastic to see with your nutritional approaches that you're trying to give that back to a degree that people can really enjoy food and create an experience around food. And uh, I guess empowered them to have that control back. Right. And as, what do you see now has kind of been a, a big roadblock or a stumbling block to get back to that point again? Like what's what are you seeing versus the idea you have versus some of the conflicts that you have to get there with it? Well, first of all, it's really nice listening to you speak about this. Um, and we haven't talked uh, off air uh, uh, in any great detail about our values around food, but it's it's genuinely really nice to hear you talk like that because I think that those and these are the type of conversations that I won't uh, make any apology for having over and over. I think that that's where, that's where it starts. Um, and, you know, if, I know, again, this may be a cliche, but one or two people listening to this and starting to change their mindset about how they approach their food, you know, that's where the reward is in, in this conversation. So uh, where are the roadblocks? They're all around us. They are absolutely everywhere. And I think that even if we think about the the, the the nutrition industry, there's roadblocks blocks in it. We have some of the most highly followed, um, maybe respected, engaged people uh, really pushing the idea of, of I, I, I'm trying to find the right words, but maybe it's extremes in what we do um, and uh, a, a diet culture. And like, let, let's take a very simple concept um, in macro coaching and, and looking at macronutrients. Like I, I have seen um, so many people come to me and they don't know how to enjoy their food anymore because they've, you know, they track everything that they, they, that they eat and they've lost a sense of how to do it um, and enjoy their food at the same time. So, you know, you've got people saying, well, if you want to achieve your goal, well, you have to be accountable and tracking is the only way to do it. Well, no, there's so many different ways that you can achieve your goal. Like, we, we, you know, you mentioned the blue zones and you mentioned, you know, 30, 40 years ago, people chiseled out of stone. There was no macro coaching around. So we, we've got to a stage where there's so many different voices. There's so many different ways of, of achieving the same thing. And... I, this sounds like, uh, 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 I won't actually stop using the word cliche, but going back to the reflection that each person starts to truly review what is effective for them. And yes, all of the core components of skills, of knowledge, of motivation and desire, they're all there, but really starting to figure out what is the pattern that works for you as an individual. And maybe there is an element of, of, of tracking in there. Uh, have you figured that out you know and it's something i'm almost most proud of is that 
I've never used my fitness pal in my life. <laughs> I've competed on pretty high level stages with bodybuilding and not following strict food plans. Been very calorie aware, been very conscious of it. I've used my fitness pal five days in my life. And that was only so I could learn how to use it to tell clients how to figure it out. But I've been tracking calories or calorie aware since I was 15. That's over 20 years ago. My fitness pal wasn't a thing. But I would say to people that, you know, every time every time you use my fitness pal is a, an opportunity to never need to use it again. That if you can actually learn something from it, you can take it away. Uh, you can step away from that. But again, it's 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 so huge. And this is the Instagram and social media and stuff. It has a lot of power and it's done a lot of positive and it's doing fantastic things. It allows us to get our word out there, but it's also doing a lot of negative, right? And we let's not go down that rabbit hole because I'm sure we'd, we're, we're preaching to the converted here with both of us, right? And that's something like that where we're all drowning in information, but we're kind of starved for knowledge now at the moment, right? And that's kind of a, a big issue that there is so much out there and there's so uh, many conflicting ideas. How do you find or what do you find is the best method for you in terms of getting your voice across? What do you find has the greatest impact uh, for you that you're after now going from, you know, the dressing room to the, the social media, you're talking to 15 players and now you're talking to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, what have you found has been the greatest impact that's allowed you to get the word across? That's a super question. And uh, I, I, I toy with that um, uh, question I, I, I don't toy with it. I, I think about it intensely all the time. It's communicating through food. And that's what the really unique uh, thing about me is. Uh, I'm sorry, not about me, but the, the way that I've tried to communicate and the way that I've tried to reduce the confusion is let's just present meals that uh, I eat that my athletes eat it's mostly what i eat but also what athletes eat and going back to what you said about um uh, the incredible um achievements that you had within your physique and within your performance that you did that without tracking well you can also achieve extraordinary levels of fitness well-being performance by eating these foods, these are all of the meals that the best athletes in the country uh, eat on a, on a daily basis. It's it's this food. It's now about, it's up to you as a person to figure out what are the portion sizes and the patterns and the different foods and tastes and preferences that, that you like. Um, but the, the, the question is really interesting because... Uh, one thing we did talk about off air was attention. And uh, I, I, I have noticed that it is more and more difficult to maintain people's attention, uh, even through the language of food. And uh, one other thing that I will say about this is that the things that gain people's most attention are novel and exciting and maybe layered with chocolate. And I don't like to go to that place all the time. But yes, that gets people's attention so I can talk to them about other things. Yeah, and there's it's such a visual instant world that we're kind of living in now. And you have to have like it's gone down to fractions of a second. And if you don't get that attention, you know, and there's so many people vying for that now because everything's gone online. Everything is visual. There's no spoken word as much now. You've got to be able to get that because people are going to have their headphones in all the time. Right. So you have to hit them with that. And 
this is where even I, you know, battle with it. You have to sell out that little bit to get them across the doorstep, to get them across the threshold, and then you can hit them with the the real world stuff, right? And it's it's, it's what we need to hear because broccoli isn't sexy, but it does the job, right? And it's it's so difficult and it's so tricky to it's get that. It's so message. difficult and it's so tricky. And I think in Ireland, more than I actually haven't done as much traveling as I would like, but I get a sense that in Ireland, more than any other country, you're also punished more by you know our online community for selling out. You know, I can you know it's it's something that I'm very conscious of. To maintain integrity is everything in this space. Well, it's the same where you've got your name over the door and same as we have we can't hide behind that and it's something i'm actually quite proud of that everything i put out has my name attached to it so it's got our reputation attached as well and you'll know the price of that that you know you can be thrown under the bus and sent under flames very very quickly right so there's a lot to combat there too and this is like i guess you know where we're we're now trying to get this information across we're trying to uh, relay these words and you know it can be so powerful when we get that traction with people, when you find you get that little bit of buy-in, then what do you find keeps them there? Like, is it, again, just the, the recipes? Is it the knowledge that you're able to impart? Like, what, what do you find is the biggest difference maker? Because we spoke about this where we've, we've both mentioned off air about, you know, people come up and say, you've genuinely changed my life with, the, you know, changing, overhauling their family's food relationship, their own food relationship, their physique, their um, prowess on the pitch, the performance, etc. What was that big thing once you got them across the threshold to keep them there what did you find was the catalyst there well i think this is probably a much bigger uh, discussion um than me just saying it was this particular process you know i i have been working in the space for you know 10 11 years and i probably have learned more uh in the past two years about the question that you just asked Uh, than I did in the previous eight. I was very driven towards information and knowledge and skills. And over the past two years, I feel like the big thing that I have got better at is asking questions and um, trying to ask questions that do exactly what we've been talking about in the sense of getting people to reflect more and buying into their own personal process and owning their uh, personal process. So, um, the reasons why people do things are, are critical. Um, the support structures that people have around them are fundamental to, for ongoing success. And, and what drives people's ambition is them figuring out why they should continue to try and improve. So I, like a little example from my, from, from my own perspective, I've transitioned out of Gaelic football and um, being very, very tough. I love playing Gaelic football, but that gave me great structure. And it's like, how do I find that new structure that I can buy into that I can I can progress within and at least maintain my physical health and progress in certain areas? How can I progress my cooking so I'm a better cook um, and that I can share better experiences with my family and, uh, and friends? And it's about each individual finding um, I've achieved that now I've achieved what I set out to but now it's changed to the next thing so it's that particular process um, of, of reflection and it's a lot of 
of, of ongoing conversation and regular, almost, you know, rewriting your own script. And it's it's something incredibly difficult, I guess. Like once you've stepped away, like you have from, like people are going to be very driven that are playing for a championship. They're going to be incredibly driven because there's, you know, in the professional side of it, then there's a lot of money tied in as well too. So there's a lot of incentives. But if you've got someone now in the early part of 2021 and they're just trying to improve their health, it's more difficult. And from my own perspective, I enjoy it far more. I used to deal with athletes a lot in terms of uh, physique athletes and, you know, people that are going to take two grains of rice out of the bowl and leave them to the side and not eat them. But now, um, you know, we're talking about changing people's relationship with food. We're talking about all this. What are the challenges or differences? I guess that's going to be the main difference, obviously the financial incentives and the championship drive, but from dealing with people in the dressing room to now dealing with people in their own homes. What are the, the stark differences and contrast you kind of find and what are the challenges you find with those as well? Well, again, it's going to be different for each individual, but the, the, the things that are, are obvious is a, a dressing room creates uh, team spirit, it creates accountability, it creates enjoyment and, um, uh, you know, you, you cannot underestimate a sense of belonging. And if you... If you lose that, um, like people go back every year, and in the back of their mind, they know that they're not going to win in All Ireland. They're not. They're they're not going to compete. But they go back because they want their identity is that they're a sports person and they want to improve and they want to be part of their team, and they love doing what they do. So, how do you translate that? How do you find that uh, in your own home? And that's 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 very challenging. And you know, for some people, it's because they want to do it for their children, um, they want to do it for their partners, um, they want to, of course, they want to do it for themselves too. But the big thing that I try and uh, help people with is to build these conversations into their lives and find connect with people and find people who go on that journey with them. And like I, I, even my own. Um, a group of very very close friends um where the the last guy is just uh, about to retire he's kind of on the fence but he's going to retire and we have started to put in a lot more health focused stuff into our just our general contact group you know the group where we're sharing different links and conversations and that has become immensely powerful you know we we have we're we're now creating accountability to each other and we're bringing fun about it, but I suppose to to kind of really narrow all of these broad concepts in, it's about being very clear about what your goal is and what you want to achieve, day to day, week to week, month to month. That's something that's really interesting when you start speaking about identity with that as well. Um, I'll ask you about your struggles that you've dealt with kind of stepping away from the Gaelic and being the player and being associated with that because it's a huge part and, and how it changes. Like I've had my own, I don't want to say struggles, but identity issues from that perspective of stepping away from being the big guy, from being the bodybuilder, from being all this. And it's to now find that new formation. Like there is a struggle. It's, it's you know, several years for people to really get into that transformation and actually change their approach and their mentality with it. What did you find yourself personally with 
hanging up the boots and and kind of stepping away from that side what challenges were there well it's again um i i this it's a very coincidental that you asked this question um i only an hour ago was on a conversation with a, a young rugby player who has retired early and um is facing the transition into work and you know we were just on a social call but i ended up we both ended up pouring our hearts out to each other and you know i said i'm known as a nutritionist but my identity and 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 for me all i wanted to ever be known as was a was a good gaelic football player that's what mattered most that's where i put all of my energy so now i'm 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 transitioning out of it like you said and I'm trying to, and it it, does, it absolutely does take time. I still think I can play football at the highest level. I, I mean, in reality, I can't, but that that's that that's what's there. Um, so what works well? I'll tell you, this is a kind of um, it's a it's a strange thing that works well, but when I put my gear on, when I put my socks on, my shorts. I try to step back into my headspace as a of a performer and a competitor. And it sounds like I'm I'm on an advert now for Nike or Adidas or something. But I start competing genuinely. I set the I set the rules for myself. And I say the first thing is that you're going to do this. You've committed to this, you're going to do this. This is the rules that you set for yourself. And then when you get into it, now you're going to do it as well as you can. And, you know, I do find that I'm able to dig out um, a level of, of energy and focus and drive that, that was there from when I was a competitor playing and competing against others. And now it's me and me. And I find that powerful and I find that very useful from my own perspective. And the other element of it, which is the complete opposite is that I found it very helpful, beneficial, calming to invest in others and to help others uh, transition through um, their change from being an athlete themselves too. And that's why I'm going to do these things with my friends. It might be a duathlon, it might be a run, but I have found like there's five-a-side soccer on a Monday night or there's other guys that are, are struggling to, to find something too, and that has been helpful. It's to have that sense of belonging and that sense of community where you can actually pull it back into as well. And it, it's something that's lovely, I said it as well, about having, you know, create, recreating that feeling of what was most, you're at, at your most driven, that you were able to reignite that. And it's something I use a lot with people because we deal with a lot of successful people. They're just not successful in their health and fitness and wellness just yet. But what I'll say to him is, okay, what areas of your life have you created success in? What areas have you been incredibly good? We're dealing with high-level CEOs, et cetera, with stuff like this. And they're all kind of saying, well, I'm just, I'm a failure at my fitness and health and I'm, I'm a mess. All right, let's actually tone it back, let's scale it back a bit and say, how did you create that success in other areas of your life? And just like you said, let's lace up the boots. Let's actually get you back into that headspace. And, and then all of a sudden, you see this change starting to happen and they start putting their energy in because they now realize that, well, if I was able to do it this way, why can't I do something else? You can create this sense of belief. And I think that's incredibly empowering um, that you can give that. And as well, it it's it gives such a sense of purpose to everyone once they can actually have that connection too. 
and it, it it's it's really nice as well you kind of bring that back in about the sense of community and the sense of support and having that um where you're kind of the uh you're the the average of the five people you hang around with most right so again like you're able to leverage on that and kind of bring your mates up to the next level too from that side of it um and to create that, or I guess to have people to create that level of environment in their own surroundings, because, you know, if you're trying to make a change for the better in terms of your health, it's very difficult to get your partner on board. It's very difficult to get the others on board. But what kind of, uh, this would be one of the last couple of topics we'll touch on this, but what have you found as kind of sticking points there when you're, you know, like the person is ready to change, but their family isn't ready to change or the environment is not ready to change. It's, it's very difficult to broach that subject, right? What have you found helpful? your own experience from that side with it well uh i've had mixed success um with this and i'm I'm not going to say that um, i've figured this one out because each environment in each home is so incredibly difficult um in some situations uh if i'm speaking to women um, who are living with men uh that unfortunately, sometimes it has to be that they separate their goals from their partners and they start to really identify my needs are very different. Um, my partner would absolutely kill me if I said this, but uh, <laughs> this is true, that while when, when I moved in with my partner, her nutrition and her... Um, variety of her foods and her nutrition and her nutrition profile definitely improved her consumption definitely increased <laughs> so it took quite a bit of time and like i need to be careful about how i put it but you know you're, you know you're eating this because i'm eating this you know and i can eat this <laughs> but this isn't what you should be eating <laughs> Um, like that's that's a that's a tricky dynamic, but the reality is you got to separate what's mm. what you need if you, what you need what your body needs versus somebody who's going out and doing this x amount of work in the gym or cycling and out of work. It's very very difficult different needs, and it's about putting you know I'm not saying it's macro counting, but it's certainly putting a, a clear picture on paper about what your nutrition needs are and you said about being calorie aware for you know since you're very very young some people don't have that awareness so it's about understanding that okay so that's the separation part the collective part is the complete opposite it's the integration of 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 goals and it's the integration of um, habits within the home and people getting on board with meal planning and uh, cooking together and what are we going to have on on Tuesday not just what are we going to have tonight and working together as a team and that is incredibly powerful and that starts with communication this is what I want to do and this is what I want to achieve yeah, and I think that's that's where your uh, your book comes into play right because you can and this is I'll, I'll put in the subtle plug I'm sure you will as well towards the end but like this is where you know you can literally throw this down on the table between people because now the partner doesn't have to say, I want to try this. It's like, well, let's actually try this. They'll put the blame on you. <laughs> they get to blame you for sticking the fork in the, the relationship and the food and the fridge. 
but it's it's allowing people to actually come together to enjoy food so much more and it's allowing like i don't know you, you surely do realize it but like there are a lot of people are probably improving their own relationships not even with just food but with their partner because of this because now they're able to have something that suits their goal it suits their habits suits their lifestyle but now they can actually enjoy the food and the process with it all uh, which is so incredibly important that your nutrition and your food and your training doesn't take away from all the rest of the aspects of your life that you should be able to consume the food as opposed to the food consuming you right uh, and it, it's so vital and it's so important um we, we've had a, this is a, a really odd not honestly odd conversation but we've gone off on so many different tangents and i think it's fantastic um i was telling you about my little list of questions that i have here at the start and how we'll let the conversation flow and i think it's after flown in so many amazing directions and there's going to be a lot of value and i think people are really going to enjoy the conversation but Something I want to touch on towards the end is like the the, the trends and fads that have, have come and gone over the past while. What can you see coming into 2021? And we'll use this as our, our wrap up on this, but what can you see coming into 2021? What would you like to see left behind in 2020? And uh, where can you see it all going? Um, I've got this right a few times. Um but the answer is that I'm not. Uh, I'm not as sure um, about this particular uh, phase that we're going into. Uh, I remember back in 2016, 15, 2016, I talked about uh, plant-based being the next big, big thing. That there's going to be a real focus on on plant-based. Um, I was again my, my uh, one of my best friends um, is a performance nutritionist and, and researcher. Uh, Brenton Egan and you know our conversations have helped us kind of have a better sense of where the industry is going so from him from very early doors we would have talked about macro counting and and uh, and, and things like fasting I I, I, I don't know um, is is the answer I I definitely if I'm talking about the engagement and, and engaging with people online there is an awful lot of talk about um, and there's a lot of people asking me about about fasting my concerns about it about let's say fasting are very much along the lines of everything that we talked about where people become so honed in on that this is the thing that works rather than realizing actually aspects of all of this work you know there's days where you of course you can cut back in your calories and fast. We're well capable of doing that. Of course, there are days you can be focused on on, on, on pescatarian, vegan, vegetarian, whatever it might be. So I, I would love to think that we move to that sense that people start realizing that we really need to personalize our nutrition and it's not based on some blood test. It's, it's just actually based on thinking about your own personal needs and genuinely listening to what's happening and feeling what's happening when you uh, digest a meal. And I think that's a major problem. Again, people getting disconnected from our origins of food, but actually disconnected from themselves and how and I would say to people, eat the food you like, but make sure that food likes you, right? That's something that like people are really getting disconnected from their own biofeedback and their own body awareness and whatnot too. Cool. What fads would you like to see kicked back into 2020 and left there with the virus? Kicked back in or left left behind? 
left behind. If we could, if you could take out your eraser and just erase it off the board for good, what would you like to see gone? Can I turn that back on you? Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I guess to go back to like the, the social media influence, I guess to, to a degree of certain, certain group of influencers and their diet culture and their, you know, very strict uh, regimented orientation that they'll, they'll bring from their own experiences as in, this is how I got abs. This is how everyone else will get abs. That's something I'd like to see gone. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. I think that's maybe, um, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a subset with very, very strong beliefs that actually less, less knowledge than they, they actually think that they have. Uh, the, the, the thing that I struggle with with this uh, actual question is, there, we, we learn a lot from pursuing um, interests in different spaces and. Like, let's say, for example, you know, I, I could say something like ketones or thinking that it's the ketogenic diet is the next. But, but, but you could say that about anything. And in fact, the ketogenic diet is suited to somebody out there. It's just not suited to everybody. So it, it's, it's, it's how these things become diluted and, and, and how, um, how confused people become with so many things yeah that's it's it is it's a beautiful point and one we could go down on a crazy rabbit hole on and uh, like two old men sitting on the ditch talking about the game we could just wrap it down i think we're preaching it to convert it again like i said earlier on if people are looking to upgrade their relationship with food upgrade their knowledge upgrade their sense of well-being around all things nutrition where can they find out more from you so i'm uh, absolutely delighted thrilled, very proud of um, a new website that I launched um, in April, davynutrition.com, which um, is on a journey too. It's going to evolve uh, month on month and uh, year on year. Um, very excited about the investment of my energy in that space and sharing new videos and things like that. Um, I, As you mentioned, I have a social media account at David Nutrition and Eat Up, Raise Your Game is, is, my, is my first book. I would absolutely recommend it. It's uh, it, it, even for I say a skilled veteran like myself. It's it's very useful and it gives some it gives some nice insights and some different approaches as well too in terms of maybe some uh, inspiration for different meals. So it's absolutely fantastic. So from here uh, at the Gem Pop Podcast, really appreciate your time coming on today. It's been an incredibly valuable conversation. One I'm going to enjoy listening back on for sure because uh, there's been a lot of gems we put out there too. So really appreciate your time and once again, thank you very much for coming on. An incredible chat today with Daniel. I've not spoken to Daniel before today. We popped on briefly beforehand where we chatted about the structure and where we'd like to go with the conversation. I had a couple of questions. I had a couple of ideas laid out. But I said to him, let's just flow with the conversation. And that's exactly where we went. We just flowed and had a great chat. And uh, hopefully this has given you guys some awesome insights. Hopefully it's given you a little bit of food for thought, pardon the pun, that this chat has challenged your thoughts, challenged your ideas around your food that it's not just macros on your plate. It's an experience and a lifestyle that you're truly creating. One that you can really enjoy and actually take back control of. And not just associated with my fitness pal or not just associated with the scales or good or bad. There's a hell of a lot more value to be had for food. And hopefully, again, it's given you some food for thought. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it on your social media channels. Tag myself and Daniel. And if you've got any further questions or insights, please feel free to reach out and touch base. Shoot them back to me. Until the next episode, chat soon.